Today's Bible reading is from James chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 13. Let's pray as we prepare to listen to God's word. Thank you, Father, for forgiving us of our sins and cleanse us as we truly repent. And now as we gather together as brothers and sisters, as, as children of God, open up our hearts and our ears and our minds. As we consider James chapter 2, verse 1 to 13, practical Christianity, that we may not be like the man who sees himself in a mirror and so quickly forget what we look like. Commend this time in your hands and Pastor Chawi as he brings us your word. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also come in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, have not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really know, if you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, Love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumble at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who say you shall not commit adultery also said you must not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. We have looked at the first chapter of James over the last two Sundays and noted that there are two grand themes in that first chapter. In verses 2 to 18, James deals with Christians and trials, and he is especially concerned that we should respond to the difficulties, the tragedies of life, the hardships, the trials of life in a way that glorifies God. 
and in a way which is helpful to our own selves as we grow in grace. He stresses God's providence over our trials and God's use of our trials for our grown growth in grace in those verses. Then it seems as if James changes the subject completely when he gets to verses 19 to 27. In verses 19 to 27, James speaks about the reality that there are some people who profess to be Christians, but yet do not live as if they are Christians. He argues that your Christianity ought to permeate every area of life. If you claim to be a Christian and yet do not show practical, tangible love to those in the covenant community who are in need, who are vulnerable, and not your own family members, then it doesn't speak well for the claims of your professions. And you wonder how in the world does that fit in with trials? Well, in both cases, you reveal the truth of your profession in how you undergo trials and how you display love in public social relationships. Many people show that they, are, they, they have never really been trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of trials. Many people also show that they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ by their social behavior, their public behavior, and their lack of Christian behavior in social relationships. And then when we get to James chapter 2, it gives us a negative examples of that public behavior. And then he challenges us with that particular sin. Now let's turn to James chapter 2 now. In verses 1 to 7, James teaches us that the Christian faith is utterly incompatible with favoritism. And in verses 8 to 13, he teaches that God's royal law is incompatible with favoritism. Verse 1 says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. The opening phrase, my brothers and sisters, is a reminder that this problem of favoritism is a family problem. It's a problem the family of God has, but shouldn't have. So James is talking to believers, people who are followers of Jesus. These favoritisms can happen not only at church, but it can also happen in your family, at work, at school, and in any other place you find yourselves. Favoritism can go by many other names. For believers like you and me, we are to be above favoritisms, whatever form it takes and wherever it shows up. James gives us one example of what he means. 
verses two and three. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also come in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, "Here is a good seat for you," but say to the poor man, "You stand there or sit on the floor by my feet." Well, before we move on, let me be clear about something. Favoritism is to give preference to one person or group over others with equal claims. Don't misunderstand this. There are times where you need to treat people differently because of who they are or the position they hold. That's not favoritism. When I treat my wife better than other women, I am not showing favoritism because. The other women don't have equal claim to me or my attention. She has a right or a claim on me to be treated differently, because I give more attention to my children, our grandchildren, than yours is not showing favoritism, because your family doesn't have equal claim to me or my attention. The sin of favoritism is based on evil motives that comes from unfounded opinions or beliefs that are contrary to God's word. Second, favoritism is an indication of spiritual immaturity. As a followers of Jesus, how we treat people that are different than us, look different than us. Hold different opinions than us, and live different than us, can tell us a lot about where we are and how we are doing spiritually. Genuine faith, as it grows, begins to treat everyone equally. Genuine faith causes you to see value in everyone. But if you 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 are segregating people. And placing value on people based on how they look, what they sound like, and how much they have, then you are not as spiritual mature as you think you are. Please note that when you place your faith in Christ, Jesus forgave you. He treated you just like he treats he treats everyone who places their faith. In Him or salvation, your wealth didn't matter. Your skin color didn't matter. Your education didn't matter. Your appearance didn't matter. Your gender didn't matter. Your history didn't matter, and it didn't matter if you were religious or not. You were treated equally. You were forgiven equally. You were adopted equally. You were saved equally. When you don't treat people equally, then you are demonstrating that you don't really understand what happened for you at the cross. This is why James asks, "How can you claim to have faith?" In your glorious Lord Jesus Christ, 
it will favor some people over others. Favoritism is an indication of where you are spiritually. At best, you are spiritually immature. And at worst, you are not a believer at all. James now addresses the condemnation of our hearts in verse 4. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We have discriminated in our hearts between these two people, as if one has a rightful place to be here and another does not. We have passed a judgment, not based upon the person, but based upon a person's looks. James issues a double condemnation upon us. He said that we have become judges with evil thoughts. For James to call us judges is quite a condemnation in itself because it is this kind of judgment that Jesus strictly condemned when he taught in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. But not only are we condemned for being judges, but we are judges with evil thoughts. We are far from what God wants our hearts to be. We have passed judgments unrighteously with our evil thoughts. We have committed sin. What does James mean by evil thoughts? It seems that we show favoritism when we make a judgment regarding someone who we think will be beneficial to or boost the reputation of ourselves or our community. If the person appears that they will not benefit us or our community, then we despise or shun or even block them from our community. James spends the rest of the time explaining why favoritism is foolish and sinful. James gives us a number of points when favor, why favoritism must stop. In verses 5 to 7, James compares the poor and the rich. Poor people who are rich in faith are blessed. Rich people who dishonor the poor, exploit people, and drag them into court, and who blaspheme, blaspheme God's name, are hated for big trouble in God's eye. Now we know that not all people are rich in faith, and not all rich people are wicked and godless. But God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. How can we possibly discriminate against the poor? Why would we judge those who, are come, who come into our assembly, who do not appear to be financially well off with evil thoughts? Part of the good news of Jesus is that it is, in, it is available to all people regardless of wealth or status. 
Remember in the sermon that Jesus taught, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Favoritism is wrong because it contradicts God's own attitude. God's attitude is that the poor are the ones who are more receptive to the gospel call. They are the ones who are more likely to see their needs for a savior than those who are wealthy and are enjoying the pleasures this world has to offer. The poor has been given the offer to be rich in faith and to be heirs of God's kingdom. How then can we possibly treat the poor differently? The application of this can be extended to all of our differences. God has called all people to Christ, regardless of race, background, culture, age, weight, or anything else. Every person has an opportunity to the good news. James says that God has chosen those who are poor in the world's eyes, but who love God to be rich in faith and to inherit the promised kingdom. God does not show favoritism. The Jews thought that God favored them because of their heritage as children of Abraham. So they despised the Gentiles. Even Jesus' disciples had these prejudices. But God showed Peter through a vision to kill and eat some unclean animals that God does not show favoritism. God accepts people from any nation who fear him and do what is right. And through Peter, God brought a Roman centurion named Cornelius the gospel message by which he could believe and be saved. That's Acts chapter 10, which we have learned before. James asks, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Verse 6. Why would we show favoritism towards the rich? The rich are the ones who oppress you. The rich sometimes drag the poor into court where the poor are at a distinct disadvantage. Essentially, why be partial towards the worldly rich when the worldly rich are certainly not partial? To Christians. This exploitation and oppression still occurs. So why treat them better than the poor? James continues in verse 7. Are they, the rich, not the ones who are blaspheming? They know the name of him to whom you belong. The rich blaspheme and slander the name to whom we belong. The rich slander Christian. So why would Christian show prefer, preferential treatment to them, to the rich? So we have learned that. We have learned what favoritism is 
and why we should not show favoritism, because only God is qualified to judge. And Jesus did not show favoritism to even the most despised people. Then why should we do? Verses 8 to 9, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbors as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. James's point here has to do with the law. He calls it the royal law of scripture, the kingly law. God the king is giving this to you and it's a summation of the law. The second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's what James is quoting here. Favoritism, however, violates the law of love. It violates the second great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we have prejudice and show favoritism based on simply external things, then we are not living up to God's royal command. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We do not want a person to pass judgment on us strictly by our age, color, status, or wealth. So why do we do this to others? We must really fulfill the law of God to love others as ourselves. Treat people the way you want people to treat you. Favoritism is not a small or minor sin. It is easy to think of prejudice as being a harmless act. We would probably think of it as an insignificant sin. But in verses 10 and 11, James tells us that if we break any part of God's law, we are violators of the whole law. We have such a strange concept about God's law. We think there are sins that are not a big deal. We think there are some commands that can be broken and it will be okay. God said that if you break any of God's law, then you have broken all of his laws. We do not get to pick and choose which laws we are going to keep. This command against favoritism is just as important as all the other commands. God paralleled this to the commands of adultery and murder. Every law of God matters and every law must be obeyed. So if we fail in one point of the law, we have blown it all. If we show favoritism, we have broken the law of God. Not only must we love our neighbors as ourselves, in addition to that, we must also be merciful. Look at verses 12 to 13. Speak and act 
as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The fact is that when you stand before the throne, you don't be judged according to your works. Because if you are judged according to your works, you will be condemned. But you are judged according to Christ's works. You and you are accepted according to Christ's works. And you are declared righteousness according to Christ's works. And you are invited into the kingdom of heaven because of Christ's works. That's the law that gives freedom. And he says, if you have received the mercy from God, if you have received that liberty, that freedom from the bondage of sin and condemnation through the mercy and grace of God, how are you going to treat other people? Isn't your heart going to overflow with mercy? And if it's not overflowing with mercy, isn't that an indication that you have never tasted of his mercy? Now, favoritism is sinning against the rule of Christ and the whole law of God and is inviting his strictest judgment. A vital faith will lead to us demonstrating mercy in accepting others, especially those who are different from us, those who are make us uncomfortable, those who are less fortunate than we are. And it would transform our Christianity and it would transform our Christian witness if we really began to live it out. Verse 13, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Jesus said that we will be judged by the same measures of judgment we use to judge others. Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, for our Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And then went on to warn in verse 14 and 15 in the same chapter. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. This is a common teaching in the New Testament. God is not going to show mercy to us if we are not showing mercy to others. We are acting mercilessly when we act with favoritism. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Verse 13, show mercy and do not pass judgment on these things. Otherwise, God will be merciless in his judgment against us. God expects 
his people to show each other the same covenant love that he has shown to them. Let's summarize the lessons we have learned from this morning passage. Well, first, favoritism. Today we learn that Christians must not show favoritism or judge others. Rather, Christian must love and show mercy. We can't do this by our own feelings or strength. We can do this when we remember Jesus' grace and mercy to us personally. Mercy triumphs over judgment. As Christians, we are to keep the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourselves. We are not to show favoritism as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, favoritism goes on every day. It exists to varying degrees in almost every place. It exists in workplace. It is commonly found in classrooms. It is also found in families. Favoritism is sadly also found among Christians. In fact, it has been a pernicious problem in churches. Right from the time of the early church, when James wrote this epistle, and it continues to be a problem in churches today. Churches are hardly immune from this behavior. It, might not, it, must, it may not be the rich that are fawned over. It may be young married adults with growing families who are perceived as prized. We are trying to grow a church, we tell ourselves, and these people form a good social and economic base that allow us to do this. But in the meantime, single moms and the elderly are tolerated, but often not openly welcomed or courted by calls or visits. We are guilty of prejudging the poor and the elderly and the divorced. We sin because we look to our own needs and not theirs. What makes favoritism such a serious matter is that it brings suffering and unfair treatment to many. People are neglected, marginalized, despised, or rejected because of their social status or their gender, nationality, race, or language that is not preferred. And they are unfairly disadvantaged because of it. Favoritism also creates a lot of distrust, jealousies, and intense resentment. And so if we are practicing favoritism, we need to stop it. If we are receiving undue favor in a manner that is unfair to others, we also need to put a stop to it. And if, if we are suffering the adverse effects of favoritism, 
we need to learn how to respond to it in a biblical manner. Next, royal law. God cares about the poor. God has always cared about the poor. And there is something in this passage from James that we might not fully understand. Reading from the perspective of our 21st century middle class comfort, the people to whom James was writing were mostly poor themselves. James reminds the believers of the early church of their own painful experience at the hands of the wealthy. In their own treatment of the poor, James's reader are endorsing the domination system of the powerful and rich. Their favoritism sets them at odds with the essence of faith. James does not want the oppressions generated by circular social structures to impose itself upon the moral values of the church. James is warning us, as much as he, has, he was warning his first century audience, instead of following the world's value system, a system that offer, often makes the rich richer, the poor poorer, James reminds us of the royal law that goes back to Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the central idea of Jesus' teaching. Love God first and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two primary rules for life. That's Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. In order to love our neighbors, we have to spend time with them, get to know them, live in close proximity to them. And that brings us back to the royal law, to love others as we love ourselves. It isn't really about us at all. It's about loving others, the ones in fine clothes and the ones in smelly rats. No favorites, or rather, all favorite. Because when we do that, mercy triumphs over judgment. Love wins over pride. Caring brings us to mutual freedom. When we favor each person we meet, and recognize that person as someone God loves so deeply, they have become a human just to die for them. We become part of something beyond ourselves. We become part of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to introduce. Showing God's favor to each person we meet does something else too. It builds our faith into a faith that really works. As our faith grows stronger, 
and our love for God grows deeper, we will find that favoring one person over another makes no sense anymore. God has showered his favor on us so that we might share it with all. Rich and poor, young and old, powerful and powerless, God has no favorites. For each of us is God's own beloved child. Amen. And God bless you.